0: Hello. hello, hello, and welcome, welcome. to mobilize.
1: mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on
2: and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who who've decided to stand, to stand up,
3: resist, 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 resist. resist. fight back,
2: mobilize. mobilize. Each day, together. Together.
3: together, we shine a light on the we truth.
4: A light on the we truth. focus
3: on the things that unite us. We,
4: we pull, pull each together. other up.
1: We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared community. humanity.
4: Episode 29, Education, Going Back or Moving Forward Hi there, my name is Tom and I'm an intern that's been working at Mobilize for the past few months and have now had the privilege to make an episode of my own for all of you. So with it being 16 months since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic that shut down businesses and schools worldwide, many have been forced to undertake drastic measures and switch to online and virtual learning for the 2020 school year. But now with the 2021 school year coming into view, and with the production of the COVID-19 vaccine completed, many wonder what schools and colleges will do for the upcoming school year with the new regulations put out by the CDC. I sat down with four teachers from New York and New Jersey who are preparing for the upcoming school year. Mr. John Hilkema, a middle school band teacher in New Jersey, Ms. Karen Everett, a college professor with a PhD in education, and Mr. Travis Rave and Mr. Chris Cassio, who are two deans at a college in New York to learn what they and their establishments are planning to do to prepare for the upcoming school year and what it'll mean for the country going forward. Thank you for doing this again. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, it's our pleasure.
4: Real quick, you guys can introduce yourselves, your positions at your establishment and your highest degrees in education. Starting with you, Mr. Hilkema.
2: Sure. So I am a music educator and professional trumpet player located in northern central New Jersey. I have currently degrees in music education in the undergrad and grad level, as well as a master's degree in wind conducting. My primary position is I teach middle school band, and I'm the assistant marching band director with our high school's marching band.
3: My name is Karen Everett, and I have been a teacher and educator for almost 30 years. I have a PhD in education and currently working at a college in the Northeast.
0: I am Travis Raven. I'm a Dean of uh, General Education,
1: and I got my MFA from Stony Brook University. And I'm Chris Cassio. I'm the Assistant Dean of a First Year Experience office, and I also have my MFA in Creative Writing and Literature.
4: All right. So, unless you've been living in a hole for the past year and a half or so, we've kind of had a crazy pandemic happen with COVID-19, and it kind of took us all away from school and all that. We all had to do remote learning, but you know, now we've gotten vaccinations. They're coming out now and you know, it's summer and you know, people are allowed outside and it looks like some regulations and some laws are kind of easing up a bit. So for your establishment, what are the regulations that you and the students will have to follow when you go back to school? Cause I hear uh, some states like California, New York and Illinois are actually kind of like removing some mask laws and social distancing now means like three feet instead of six feet so now people can kind of be more in a room but they still have some precautions to follow
1: uh why don't we start with you mr cassio thank you so we haven't relaxed at all we're in new york but we haven't relaxed as the cdc guidance has recently relaxed so everyone on campus is still wearing masks we're still socially distanced our idea is that We want to keep everyone safe and not everyone is vaccinated. We're thinking about, for example, if I'm vaccinated, I'm thinking about the people who might not be. And so we're still doing things as safely as we can. And, you know, there hasn't been any talk of dropping our mask mandate yet here at our institution.
0: Right. And we will continue to adapt as things in the world continue to change and shift. But as Chris said, really right now, safety is our biggest concern. So we want to make sure that all staff and faculty as well as students are comfortable and confident?
2: Um, We're not exactly sure where that's gonna lie for music yet. We actually didn't get anything from last school year up until like August, so right before the school year started, so we've been told by our administration to prepare for a quote-unquote normal school year and then if we have to adjust things we can. We have the ability to you know change how we do the concerts, change how we do the class structure, so We kind of have to have two plans in place, but I'm really just happy to hear that they're thinking about going back to a somewhat normal school year in terms of being able to be in the band room and being able to have in-person concerts. That I feel like is a good sign, but we probably won't know exactly what our restrictions are going to be until probably mid to late August. Okay, so now that
4: you're going back into the fall and you're saying it's more in-person, uh, why does your school feel you guys weren't ready to teach in the spring semester, but will be for the fall? Like what's really expected to change? Oh, the,
3: the vaccinations. That's the game changer. The success rates of the vaccines are what we're looking at. And, you know, it's not certainly it's not me making any of these decisions. But our upper administration is, you know, obviously in contact with the health department for our state and our county and, you know, public health professionals and getting the information from them to make those kinds of decisions. But certainly the vaccines is the biggest difference of why we were not entirely in person in spring or even close to that, but why we plan to be in the fall.
0: I think it's the times, right? So, as we mentioned before, we're really using CDC guidelines to help us along in the decisions that we make as an institution. So, this spring, the vaccines were still being rolled out and the overall rates were still relatively low. So, prioritizing safety as we do, we wanted to make sure that the vast majority of our classes were still virtual so as to really limit the number of interactions. Uh, on campus so as to keep it as safe as possible. Whereas heading into the fall, the vaccination rates have risen quite a bit in a really positive way. So that opens up the possibility of having a little bit more of a presence on campus for the fall, but we'll still be continuing to have a strong virtual presence as well because we found, interestingly, that many students shine in the virtual environment and some actually end up preferring it. So I think it's a model that is not going to ever really totally disappear in an interesting way.
1: I agree. What we're looking at for the fall is really more of a a 60-40 split and the 60% is the virtual. So we are returning to more on-campus activity and more on-campus classes, but it's not gonna be the majority. So we're still playing it safe, but like Travis said, part of it too is that the virtual environment is convenient for a lot of students. You know, part of it is safety, sure, on the student's end, but sometimes it's just convenience. They have jobs, they have, the travel time would be difficult if they don't live on campus. And so hybrid is not going away.
4: Great, so in the decision to come back to campus, was that a decision influenced mostly by like the staff
2: or faculty or did like the students ask for that, maybe their parents or the administration? I know they, were, they had a like a COVID-19 task force that met, which was a group of administrators, parents from the community and staff. So I know we had this whole like a restart program of how we were gonna get the kids back into the schools. So last August, there was like, this whole like ready plan of how we were supposed to here's all the protocols that were in place, here's what we're gonna do. You know, when we get to this point, we're gonna reevaluate and see, okay, we're totally virtual in the beginning. We're gonna reevaluate in October. You know, we're going to go through the winter time and see how we are with our Cali score. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Cali score or not. The Cali score is a color scheme rating based on different factors of COVID-19. So you have the rate of uh, positive cases, COVID-like symptom, COVID-like illnesses, and infection rate. So based on those three numbers, you were given a score and a color code. So red, meaning that you're really, really high. Then you're orange, which is the next level down, which is what we've been in the longest. Then there's the yellow level, which is moderate, and then the green, which is low. So the goal was when we got back to Orange for more than two weeks, we would reevaluate coming back to hybrid. So two days a week in per like student cohort. And then we went back to yellow. That's when we decided that the students would come back four days a week. So there would be either in school four days a week or you were at home four days a week. So the hybrids kind of combined at that point. And then about a month or two ago, we decided that we were going to take away the virtual Wednesdays. So we were back five days a week. And then as we went on and the numbers didn't increase, more and more kids decided to go from fully virtual to in-person. Then if we ever got to green, it would open up to full days with lunches, with everybody, no more online option, but we didn't get quite that far. There were regions in our state that did turn green. So that's kind of what the Cali score goes by. So we've been monitoring that so it's been a community effort i mean obviously you don't want to rush into it too soon so that you know kids or staff get sick and you know hopefully not pass away from this so you wanted to be smart about it so you had to have kind of check benchmarks in place for what you wanted to see happen step by step along the way so you didn't just want to go okay we're dropping in cases let's open up fully now you you need to be really smart about it about what and how you were opening up. So like we couldn't play until we started to go yellow, which I think was a smart move because at that point you don't really know how instruments and how the aerosols from instruments get sprayed into the air and how that infection works. So we waited until we went yellow and after the high school had played for a while. So I think you wanna take it slowly and which is what our district did which i think helped us in the long run because yeah it was a slow start to get back to some sort of normal but the point of this is to not have people get infected not have people pass away from this virus which Knockwood, wood our community and our district did
3: very well so since i'm not one of the administrators i certainly don't have a solid answer to you know what percentage of parents spoke up but i do believe in my conversations with people that it was really the science that helped make those decisions, not pressure from different constituencies of of parents or faculty of staff or people who wanted or didn't want to be in person. I really think they were using the data that they were getting from the health department, you know, the mandates and, and things from the state public health professionals and the county public health professionals, because that's what we should be using to guide our decisions. Certainly, everyone has their opinions, I'm sure. I'm sure there were vocal parents, vocal students, vocal faculty and vocal staff, but you know, we have to use the the science to, you know, guide those decisions and then certainly then, you know, conversations with constituency groups happened at our institution and the administration was wonderful about taking feedback and suggestions. Like once we know All right, you know, the state health guidance says we have to do this or we have to do that. All right, how best do we roll this out? All right, then they were wonderful about taking our different groups' feedback and taking everything into consideration to come up with a plan, a rollout.
4: Kind of going through the, you know, last semester of my college career myself, you know, with this pandemic, you know, going remote learning, it's not quite the same as if we were actually on campus and learning this face to face or, you know, in the classroom with the teachers and with the equipment you have. I was studying audio engineering and it's definitely a big difference going from, you know, the studio board that the school has to just your computer and working off of that. So do you think with some of the hybrid learning of on campus and remote and online, do you think that'll help or limit the way some of the students learn in these upcoming semesters?
0: Well, I don't think that the students much like anybody else, I don't think we're going to, anybody's going to get that last year and a half back, you know, we all missed out on certain portions of life during that time and that time unfortunately is gone. So I don't think they're going to get that back, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to have a good college experience going forward. And that definition of a good college experience, I think, is also malleable, right? From one student to another, you might not get the same answer of what a real good college education means to them. And I think now in this new world going forward, for some of them, that means being safe at home with their family and doing their classes online. And for others, it's that they want to reengage in a larger way with a college society and get back into that community feel. But I think it's, a, it's just a hard question to answer because the world has changed in interesting ways.
1: Yeah, you simply can't get time back. And then you have the other factors like students are, are different kinds of learners, right? Some thrive virtually, some do not. Certain subjects really lend themselves to virtual learning, some do not. I think what we can do is as we get back to on-site learning, do everything we can to enrich those experiences going forward and try to help you know in any way we can make up for what has been lost you know if you think of certain hands-on experiences in a classroom or in a lab you know really try to to do as much of that as possible and sort of retouch well not retouch but maybe touch for the first time those things that they didn't get to do the previous year but it's it's difficult it's almost a case-by-case basis how much you can do because of the student the material the environment and it's just you have to do your best.
4: How significant would you say this loss is? Like, is it something really like humongous or is it maybe something that the college can
1: recover?
3: It's something that can be recovered. It's not humongous. I think everybody in the fall will, you know, for the students who are still in college, it's a great opportunity for us this coming school year to take even one step further than we would have done before and make sure that our students are experiencing all of the things that we can do in person, keeping in mind what they probably missed getting last year because they had, not that they missed a a lot, but that they missed certain aspects of things because it was done remotely or virtually or asynchronously rather than physically in person. And really every discipline is so different, you know, the arts and music and nursing. And I mean, there's just so many different fields out there. So I think it's something that can be overcome. It's not so significant that, you know, horribly problematic. But, you know, it's good for educators to keep in mind as we return to the, the physical classrooms this fall. Uh, and I'll just add the the mental health part of things, you know, that's a big component that students lost out on that opportunity to be together. I mean, quite honestly, adults did as well as they all worked from home. But it's certainly that adolescent age, whether it's high school or college level students, I mean, that was a significant loss of not being around friends and peers for such a long time. So that, you know, that will take some time to rebuild, but that can be rebuilt as well. Right. The nice thing about band
2: though, the kids that are there really want to be there. It's not like you have to be there, like in a science or social studies or a language arts class. So I think, and I hope I'm right, that the kids who are in band now that get to have full band every other day in a more normal situation are going to want to really get better. And we're going to really want to excel because they haven't had this experience in a year and a half. So I think that, yeah, they'll be behind. But I think they're going to want to really work because now that they get to be with their friends and perform with their friends, now that we're going to have our concerts again, now that we're going to be able to go to our trips and go to our competitions and things like that are that we normally do, they're going to be excited again, because they didn't have this. So it's kind of like the phrase like you don't know what you have until you lose it. I think they're going to want to take advantage of all this because they haven't had this experience because they were forced to do band on a computer and they hate that so i mean we lost a lot of kids last year when we ended the school year virtual and started the school year virtual because they didn't want to learn on a computer in band and i don't blame them that's not really fun but when i told them that we were going to go back to hershey park and we were going to go to the jazz festival we were going to go to our college tour and we were going to have you know guest clinicians come back in and like they're they perked up and we're like oh this is going to be like fun again like and it's it's true like you miss all this stuff that kept it really fun and engaging for the kids that they didn't have for a year and now they're having it again it's like oh okay yes I'm going to stick with it now because I get to experience x y and z again so I think because they get to experience that stuff and because they really want to be here the catch up time will be better and I think they'll have a better foundation to maybe even be better in the long run so while we've definitely taken steps
4: back to a more normal lifestyle I think We can both agree we're not quite there yet. You know, we're still kind of deciding what's going to happen with going back to school. So what do you believe needs to happen to get things truly back to normal? Ooh, that's deep.
2: Okay. So, I mean, we're going to have to... First of all, come to terms with that COVID-19 is not just gonna magically disappear. We have to approach it in such a way that we think about it like the flu vaccine, like I said earlier. Like that's something that we get every year. Most people get the flu vaccine every year when they go for their checkups. You know, I think these vaccines that have been developed, I think are gonna end up becoming part of that. Like, I mean, for a long time, I mean, if you do research into the the 1918 flu pandemic, you're going to see that you had those, I think it was three kind of bumps where you went up once and it went up really big the second time. And then it went like up a little bit, then it kind of died out, but you still had, it wasn't just like it went away. The measles were a big thing, but you don't really hear about the measles anymore or the Spanish flu anymore. Like you don't hear about that kind of stuff because you have had all these vaccinations and they just kind of fizzled out over a long period of time. So I think everyone's thinking, Oh, it's gonna be a vaccine. It's gonna be gone now. It's like, well, no. It's still gonna be around. But I think with the vaccines in place, I think people. I mean, I see it in, like even in stores. Like, how often do you think they clean the door handles or the carts at like Shoprite? You know? So like, how clean were places before? So I think it's definitely made people reevaluate how they go about their cleaning processes for stores and for schools. Things that we didn't think about before, like in a more normal situation, that like, oh yeah, we're really not that clean, like we'll go to the mall for the day and then we'll go out to lunch. It's like, yeah, but the hundreds of people were touching that whatever that you put your hand on and now you're eating a sandwich from Panera. So it's like things we didn't think about before, like, yeah, that's kind of gross. So I think just in cleanliness, we've really thought about that as a society and now we're definitely more clean. And not so gross when you think about stuff Then I mean, we were be pre-pandemic, so I think that's gonna really help. I think more people getting the vaccine, you know, especially now that we're still kind of in the, the meat and potatoes of it all, it's all gonna come down to not letting up too soon. Like I'm just so afraid that we're so like you can kind of see a more normal light at the end of the tunnel that people are just gonna go, Okay, there's no more mass mandates in a lot of places now people who are vaccinated and people who aren't vaccinated are going to start just like throwing stuff out the window and it's, we might see a surge again. Like I just, I want everybody to make sure that we still put stuff in plate, like stuff's in place for a reason and just to still follow those protocols, you know, until, you know, we get that herd immunity that we get these levels consistently low and then you know, every year getting that vaccine kind of booster that we would get like with the flu shot and other things to keep it from spreading again. So I think that's where we're headed right now. Like, will it be the fall by the time we get to this herd immunity? I don't know. But I think people still have to be really smart and vigilant and still take precautions. I mean, it's so bizarre to me going into like a food store and people not having their masks on or going to Home Depot and people will still have masks, but you'll see people without them. So just, it's weird seeing that after like a year and a couple months of not having the masks. I mean, it's a great sign that we're moving in that direction. And, you know, knock wood in New Jersey, there hasn't been a surge of cases. We've been going lower and lower and lower, you know, week after week. So I think, you know, it's gonna take some time. People still need to follow the protocols and follow the guidelines set forth by the CDC. But I think, you know, we will get that normalcy. I mean, we spent Father's Day with, you know, my whole family, which we haven't been able to do, in over a year I mean, the last time we got together was my grandfather's birthday last summer and we were socially distant by family we were in their backyard but like we brought our own food and we had masks on and like it was just a whole different thing than yesterday everyone came over here and you know my cousins had a baby we were able to be with the baby and my grandparents were here and we were able to hug each other like it just was a nice kind of step in the right direction but i just don't want people to think that because we're kind of see the the ending of the woods that we're not out of the woods yet
0: For me, I think currently the most important piece is vaccination. So the more people who get vaccinated, the safer from that virus we will be. And that's just the kind of the baseline. But in terms of getting back to normal, I just don't know that there is a a normal. Because this, I think, for many people has opened their eyes that this is something that can happen. And it's not something that we've really thought about in a long time, you know, since the Spanish flu, right, that this can really happen on a large scale. I think that's going to have large societal changes. There's another part of me that also thinks we're going to swing back in the direction toward normalcy hard, you know, over the next year as vaccinations continue to rise and cases continue to go down. I think there will be certainly a backswing in that way. But I, I, I do think that many of the changes that have been implemented will stick around in some fashion.
1: I really agree with that pretty much to a T. You know, vaccinations, immunity in any way, you know, either people getting sick and recovering, getting vaccinated, you know, that's the key to not having to worry about COVID but as far as you know the long-term emotional effects on people you know some people might never be the same after these these past 15 months well others already are back to normal sort of in their own realities in their own experiences and so I agree I, I think it could go hard back to normal because people want to and they've been itching for it and because people as you know in mass tend to have a short memory and want to get back that comfortable life that they remember. But it's not going to be everybody. And only time will tell. I mean, I agree with Travis completely. We can see the possibilities, but we won't know until we're there.
3: I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not somebody who studies this. So I'm not sure. I think, you know, having more of the younger people, younger population that's allowed to get vaccinated, getting them vaccinated, I think, will help tremendously. And I think you know, each month that we go get through another month is another month longer that we could, you know, be looking at the data for people who are vaccinated and, you know, see how strong that vaccine is working. And each time we can get sort of through another variant or watch, you know, another country getting through a variant and seeing how that, you know, is impacting them. Um, I think I was just reading this morning about the Delta variant and, you know, the vaccine seems to be you know, responding. And, you know, the variants are apparently something that's similar enough that it's still working and it's still proving to be effective. So, yeah, you know, the more we can hear about those kinds of results about the vaccine, I think the better, you know, the the closer we will be to getting things back to normal and having people feel more comfortable. And, you know, if those rates of hospitalization keep going down, I think that helps us get back to a pre-March 2020 feel. I know when I'm out and about in town going in and out of shops, some still require a mask and some don't. You know, private stores, you know, some choose, even though they don't have to, you know, some of them still want you to wear a mask and others don't. So I think it'll just take a little bit of time. We're getting there.